Welcome cool. to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We're going to catch up with our friend Zach Brown. Zach, last time we had you on the show a little while ago, but just took a look. Tenth appearance here on this podcast brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. And just thought it was high time to have you back on the show, Zach. Look back at a really hectic 2022 for you and the mclaren racing side between formula one indycar extreme e just all over so thanks for taking some time here a couple days before christmas absolutely happy to uh, as always chat racing and uh yeah i think the world is a hectic hectic place but uh some of us like to operate in those uh, scenarios <laughs> we also have uh, some vintage racing to talk about as well, which is one of our uh, shared and, and personal loves. So why don't we start off talking Formula One, Zach? This has been, I'd say, a positive year for the McLaren Formula One program. Another season of change, right? Gone through the year, obviously transition coming out of 2022 on the driver front, also on the uh team principal side as well i know one of the conversations we had back i think in your first visit back in 2016 to the show was hey turning around a formula one team is not a single year process it is certainly a multi-year process framing things through that lens zach of this being a long-term restoration of mclaren's championship contending uh capabilities What comes to mind when you think back on this 2022 season? How much further do you think you moved the ball forward in getting closer to uh, reclaiming those glory days? Yeah, that's a a good intro, and I like the word you used to describe our season because I I actually think it is an accurate uh, description, which is positive. Obviously, there were uh, disappointments uh, along the way. finishing fifth certainly being a, a, a big one. But, you know, when we take a step back, and as I've said to the team, we're definitely a better team today than we were a year ago. That may not be reflected in, unfortunately, the constructors finish, but our pit stops were the second-best team, reliability second-best, the only team outside the top three to get a podium, um, well, those were all, uh, the good news. And then of course, you know, finishing fifth and struggling to, to, to not get Daniel to, to, to work, you know, to get that, to, to come together was a, was a challenge. So, but I feel like we're a, a stronger team. So the challenges that we met this year, we've kind of embraced, so to speak, and, and you tackle them and you learn from them and you ultimately become stronger and I've never been more excited about the future of McLaren. If I, if I look back to when the journey started in, in, in really 18, 17, we, we were a Formula One team uh, finishing ninth in the championship with very few sponsors, a, uh, a fan base that wasn't happy, and a, and a race team that wasn't happy. If I uh, look at where we are five years later, we've uh, won a race, almost could have won a, another, should have, could have, would have. Uh, our first pole, five podiums, uh, got up to third in the championship, 
Uh, had a podium every year since we got back to the podium. We've got a very exciting driver lineup for next year and a, and a youthful one. So you know, you know, as you look out, not just next year, but over the next few years, we've got all of our um, technical infrastructure that will be in place, i.e. our wind tunnel, our simulation, uh, some other investments that we've, we've made. Uh, I'm excited to work with uh, Andrea Stella. You know, he's been with us for almost 10 years and uh, won a lot of championships at, uh, at Ferrari. Uh, so I think he's the right guy to, to lead our, our team. And I think we built up a strong team. So the transition between team principals, I think, will be uh, extremely, extremely smooth. And, um, you know, very excited. So I think we got a good foundation. And, and you know, the, the, the positives you take from um, the negatives, if you'd like, you know, we started off at the start of the year struggling with our uh, brake ducts in, in Bahrain. And we went into that first race actually not sure if we were going to be able to, to race. Um, and, and we got through the race and then had a decent race and, Saudi and Australia shortly thereafter. So that was, of course, a disappointment, but I really like how the team responded, rallied, et cetera. So, um, yeah, a, 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 a challenging year, a positive year, and I like where we, where we are on our journey to get back to the front. Think of the couple of things that stood out on the F1 side, Zach, from this season. A lot of talk throughout the year of cost cap budget limitations that uh, really kind of burrowing into how the average formula one team went about preparing for the season executing its season cost cap and budget limitations at least for the formula one you and i grew up on zach it's a abstract concept but now with with more experience of having to administer a team with financial reins in place love to get some thoughts about that right not everything's purely unlimited do whatever we want whenever we want for the average formula one fan who might not know what the change has been like operationally managerially you share some insights there because it's a really unique thing that Again, uh, I think did heavily weigh on how the uh, season played out for a number of teams. Yeah, I think the budget cap is a great thing for Formula One. Uh, you know, they are deployed in many other very successful sports, so foreign to motor racing, but not foreign to, to sport, far, far from. So I think uh, fundamentally, strategically for the sport, two thumbs up. I don't think we've yet seen the uh, sporting balance impact yet because it's too early, but I believe that will will come because uh, us and others are, are catching up and doing new wind tunnels. So I think uh, you don't flip the switch overnight and, and go from 10th to, to first, but I think it will have its intended effect. I, I can see five teams competing for the championship in three, four, five years. Um, you know, it's double what it is today. 
Um, so, so that would be a, which then means you've got, you know, eight to 10 drivers that can win. And that's one of the great things about IndyCar is it has that types of, of, of depth, you know, there's 10 drivers that can win at any, any one weekend. Um, the, uh, implementation of it, it is very difficult. You, you better have a, a great CFO and financial controls and, um, uh, also a CFO that understands um, how a, a Formula One team operates and, and making strategic investments and, and placing bets. And so um, you, you work with your very broad team, you know, CFO most directly, and, and you kind of navigate, you know, you, you've got choices to make. You know, where do you spend your your money and obviously you want to spend it in the absolute highest performing areas, whether that's people, technology or what have you. Um, the FIA, it's been a very transparent process. The FIA has been extremely communicative. I mean, there's not a, a week that goes by that we're not getting a memo or a notice or an update. So they're, they're, they're constantly on it. I think they're very thorough. Uh, I don't think it has the gaps that people were concerned there there might be. And so I think what happened this year was, um, you know, not not intended. Uh, I my, my own opinion is, um, you know, no one would want to, to break the cap. You want to get as close to it as possible. Um, and, and that's... Uh, a difficult and scary proposition because if whatever you want to have to spend, you want to leave one dollar on the table, but it's so tight and you can have an accident with two races to go or rip off a front wing. You just don't know. So that that that's a bit of an art and science that you know everyone just needs to get comfortable with how much um, uh, space they give themselves. And over time, I think we'll. Uh, it'll become less foreign to us, and therefore we can you know, push the boundaries of how close can you get to the cap. I think what was important um, was, you know, it's unfortunate anyone breached the cap, but, you know, there were people that, uh, investors uh, and others that invested in the sport on the basis of a cost cap. And one of the concerns is, would it ever be manageable? Would anyone actually respect it, et cetera, et cetera? So I think when we had, you know, those couple of infringements, I think it was important that it was dealt with um, in an appropriate and big way to make sure that no one, uh, you know, exceeds the cap or doesn't take it seriously. And I think everybody. Uh, including those that had their their, their issues, uh, definitely take it seriously. So I think that was also a uh, a win, if, if you'd like. And uh, I think no one thought it was going to be perfect out of the gate. And everyone can debate, uh, you know, the penalty. Um, but but I think sitting here now, everyone's a lot smarter. Everyone's very respectful of it. Everyone's working together, and so I think it will work. Uh, on and off the track, which is uh, one of the many reasons why I'm very excited about the, the state of play in Formula One at the moment. I want to bridge over to IndyCar in just a, a second here, Zach. 
wanted to stop first more of a personal level here for you and i know i was uh one of the folks uh getting the knives out from time to time and uh we had some good back and forth on that uh raised my hand readily for uh, some of the times i may have gotten them out too often thoroughly at fault there but this year i think back to you and if i had to count headlines the name brown would have been in a lot of them across both indycar and f1 you personality wise i've always known you to be someone who is going to go forward with what he believes is correct uh, compared to taking a, a softer stance or no, I'll just be quiet here. I've appreciated the fact that whatever it is that you believe, you have a tendency to go top gear, 200 miles an hour forward with it. Uh, letter that the passionate letter that you wrote about the F1 budget cap uh, violations there, the increased level of penalties that you felt should have come with that the back and forth with other team principals on that topic in f1 in indycar here pursuing a driver from another team that team also having some pursuits of your folks some a lot of back and forth there this was not a year of zach brown shrinking violet duct tape over his mouth from january 1st to december 31st (laughs) You share some insights about that, Zach, because, yeah, how's this? If folks are worried, curious if you were an introvert, oh, we learned that was not the case this year. What was it like for you to be in the middle of a lot of this, man? Yeah, so um, it, it has been uh, uh, an exciting year. I hope next year is a little less uh, exciting. When I took over running McLaren, um, you know, my background, as you know, is I, I worked with all these teams and, and, and leagues, I mean, lots of them. And, um, in the, the business I was in before, I also needed to be a bit of, uh, Switzerland because I was doing business with everyone. And, uh, there wasn't a, um, competitive element, if you'd like, between, you know, me and, and, and the various teams. And I remember my first year at spa, Martin Brundle, uh, gave me some advice and uh, it stuck with me. Uh, and it was an inappropriate language, so I won't repeat exactly what he said. But he effectively told me I was going to have to change my style from being everyone's friend in pit lane to um, being pretty uh, competitive and, and, and tough. I mean, he used some other uh, <laughs> phrases, but that was the gist of it. It was interesting because I, I, you know, I've got an immense amount of respect for all the teams we race against, including some of those that I haven't uh, necessarily gotten along with. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for for what they and their teams have accomplished. I I also know that, you know, very few, very competitive people, um, you know, aren't trying to, take drivers from you and sponsors and and staff. And it's, you you know, it's a very competitive uh, sport on and off the track. And so I think um, if you look at those that have have had the most success, they make big, tough decisions. And and, um, especially as you're kind of 
I mean, uh, the ranks, they're quite stable and been around for a long time. We've got to, you, you know, get our best driver lineups put together. And if, you know, that, that means we've got to do what we think is in our best interest and is correct, but maybe isn't popular. Um, you know, I'm trying to, uh, build the, the most exciting racing team that the, uh, fans adore and our partners and, and, you know, our competition, we want to beat just like they want to, to beat us. So, um, I, I also try and be, uh, you know, very transparent. Uh, you know, I recognize not everything I say everyone's going to agree with or, or, or like, but I, I put it out there um, and, and make my position unknown. I can tell you there's a, a, a lot of people that, that don't operate as transparently. So I'm just trying to do what's best for McLaren, um, get us as competitive as possible, as quickly as possible in everything that we do, uh, do the right things. And, you know, don't, don't be uh, – don't be afraid. Um, you, you know, if, if you're going to uh, try and race with the, uh, the, the the big boys in the sport, you're going to have to sometimes get in there and do a little bit of arm wrestling. It, you know, it, it's certainly not how I'd like every year to go. But, you know, if we got to make a few tough decisions along the way to get us to a place where, you know, we've, we've elevated our game, um, I, I, I want to be judged on – my results in five, ten years' time, not not next week. Looking at the Air McLaren SP team, which is due to become Air McLaren here in a few days, Zach, I look back at 2022 and close but not close enough is what comes to mind. There were times, and actually a fairly frequent uh, situation this past season, where IndyCar's big three, a uh, phrase you and I, you know, grew up with or, you know, have known forever, usually been three dominant teams in IndyCar over the years. Most recently, Andretti Autosport, Chip Ganassi Racing, Team Penske. Without a doubt, Air McLaren SP uh, moved your friend and our friend Michael Andretti's team out of the way, out of the big three, and assumed that role for large, large parts of the season Still a little bit more to go, though, to get past the Ganassis and the Penskis to winning that first championship, Zach. Maybe not so much curious about 2022 as a whole, knowing that it had a lot of highs, but also had some weekends where the team was just a little bit, a little bit off. I'd like to talk about coming out of 22, Zach, and looking at what's coming here in 2023 as I see it. This is the first true full McLaren racing blueprint being applied. You've got your uh, man, Gavin Ward, who's overarching in charge of uh, this program here, working alongside Brian Barnhart there as well. You've taken a massive shift in approach, at least here in IndyCar, Zach, with really placing the, uh, the big engineering brains and technical brains atop uh, the program. Tell me about that. Is this what you think is going to be the thing that helps elevate this team to getting in between the Penske's and Ganassi's, maybe even ahead of them for the first time? 
I, uh, I, I hope so. I, I feel, you know, kind of as we described IndyCar, you know, on paper, we, with one car, fell back in the championship this year and, and with one took a, a big step forward. So uh, I think, again, a positive year, uh, a couple wins. Uh, to see Felix get back to the front was, was, was great. So, so getting you know, two cars running good, not just one, was a, a big step forward. Our, our Indy 500 uh, month of May was 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 awesome. Only more awesome by one other team. But you, you know, to have all three cars finish and run at the front and almost win it, you know, I feel like we now have a, a better race car on all the different types of circuits because we've now won on road course, street course, short oval. Um, uh, so. I like where we are there, and I, I like being um, technically led uh, by by Gavin and by Andrea Stella in 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 Formula One because I think uh, you know we we've gone away from the traditional team principal role into a CEO and team principal. There's so many aspects to these racing teams now, and um, I, I feel comfortable on the the commercial side of the business, the sporting side of the business, but I'm certainly no technician. So I think um, getting uh, people that are running our teams that are you know, very technical focused, uh, I, I think is great because you know, his job is the performance of the racing team. So I'd want his skill set to be uh, just, just that. So, and then going to three cars, uh, you know, that's, that's integrating. We just got the second car up to speed. So we, we want to get the third car where the second car is now, so to speak, not have a, a, a difficult year one. And we've got three drivers that can win races and I think compete for the, the championship. So um, if I look at where we were when we started the journey to where we are now, I think we're going into the season with a, a, to a, certainly a, a chance at the championship. And with three cars that I think are all capable of winning races in the Indy 500, and that's a strong uh, position to be with Gavin and Brian and the entire team's kind of leadership structure. Uh, we're, we're still early days, but we're we're getting there, and uh, I, I, we're getting there quickly. One more question on the IndyCar front, Zach, then a, a, just a few other quick ones, and uh, we'll let you back to your day. So if I look back to the start of 2022, a bit of a rough patch there uh, for the the happiest puppy with a constantly wagging tail, that being Pato O'Ward. He wasn't, wasn't totally happy and settled within the team. Uh, he admitted the first couple of races. He was off his game. Two of you got aligned. New contract for him. He's in a super happy place. Felix as well was going through some things, not so much on the racing side, but more on the personal front that led him to want to change his direction in the future. And you, uh, you did a lot of work there to make sure that that got resolved in a positive way. For those who don't know, uh, your two drivers, I know we've added Rossi, I'll mention in a moment, but you've ended up with two drivers who are effectively best friends, right? Off the track, on the track, these guys, you, not saying you've made them best friends, but you've had some rocky patches, no, they're buddies, right? You've had some rocky patches yeah. to deal with them individually. Those got solved during the year. 
We only saw the strength of that demonstrated in their performances. Now we've got Rossi coming in. We know what he can do on the track. Also know that personality-wise, he's a little bit of a, a, a different character. What do you see here, Zach, as you look to 2023? Is this uh, between these two drivers, well-proven, who were super close, and someone coming in, a bit of a different personality? Where do you see these things evolving and gelling, hopefully? Is that through uh, just nature of them being close to one another in proximity? Is that you trying to do more team building? Gavin, Brian, just curious, because this has great potential if everybody is pulling in the same direction. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think uh, we did have our our challenges uh, well documented. Um, you know, Pat, Pato and and myself, um, which you know I, I think you know we me did a we have a poor job in hindsight of of managing Pato and letting him get to a point of not being happy when. There was there was only good things to be happy uh, about, and I think you know in hindsight we you know we me didn't um, probably kind of recognize he was off track and and get him on track if you'd like uh, quickly enough. We ultimately got there. We're in a great place, uh, and you could definitely see uh, the performance at the start of the year uh, when he was unhappy versus uh, happy. Um, you can see a, a, that difference in, in Pato. And um, so I don't think we'll make that mistake again because um, it was all just communication. Uh, Felix was a tricky uh, situation because uh, at, at the midpoint of the year, he was kind of leaning towards wanting to do Formula E and, and had a change of heart, which I totally uh, you know understood and respect. So it was kind of what we have to work through that. But that... Um, that that wasn't that public, but was difficult navigating to get to uh, what ended up being a, a great result. And then with Rossi, what what I see in Rossi, and I, I met Alex for the first time in my old role at uh, JMI CSM when he was uh, just getting into Formula One. And he he's got a he's a great driver, and we've seen him absolutely dominate races. Uh, he he's he's tough. And he's a fierce competitor. Uh, so it's kind of like what we're doing off the track. I kind of see that in Alex in the car. I think our job is to make sure that all the teammates get along and most importantly, respect each other. Um, they don't have to be best friends. And, and you know, teammates see each other is, is probably their number one competition when they go on track. And I'm good with that as long as uh, everyone works together to, to, to take that passion to go fast and drive the team forward and not uh, into uh, each other, which uh, given how close IndyCar racing is, uh, the chances of our three cars at some point uh, trading paint is probably likely, but get, having the drivers in a relationship where if that happens, they can talk it out, not fight it out, and then obviously, depending on, uh, you know, what's going on, you know, Gavin, myself, Brian, whomever, um, you know, being close to it, because I, 
we have a good track record of relationships with our uh, drivers, you know, even in difficult times. Um, and, and you do see some drivers flare up um, and you've seen it coming a mile away and you kind of wonder why the, the team hasn't got a hold of that. You know, you kind of, we've all seen it. You've seen it where you go, uh, there's going to be fireworks between mm. these two, but yet you, you, you don't intervene until it's too late. So I think our job is also if we see anything bubbling up, don't just sit back and watch it, participate. My next column, Zach, for ESPN, which I need to get started on here shortly, is looking back at the year, primarily at IndyCar, a little bit of IMSA, but primarily at IndyCar, from a perspective of growth in diversity. More ponytails on pit lane than I've ever seen. There are more African-Americans, people of color, uh, representation as well across every imaginable um, type of person, uh, LGBTQIA+, as well. And at least in a recent podcast that I did where there was a question from a non-binary IndyCar fan, uh, mentioned your team, uh, the Aaron McLaren SP IndyCar team. Just eyeball test, right? I mean, I haven't actually documented every single person and every team and come up with percentages of who's more diverse than the other. But at least from eyeball test on pit lane, I have to commend you, uh, former team president Taylor Kyle, and a lot of folks within uh, the Indiana-based IndyCar program for, I would say, taking a, a real leadership position and saying, if you are skilled, you are welcome here. Am I assuming that that's an initiative? Uh, is this happenstance, Zach? Would you say, and I realize I'm maybe throwing a softball here, but I don't know the genuine answer. Is this something intentional? Has this just happened this way? I'm curious about it because... Uh, y'all are doing some really good work. I just don't know if it's part of an active initiative um, or how this has come together. Yeah, no, that's, uh, first of all, thanks for sharing that. That's great to, uh, great to hear. Uh, it, it, it is something that is very uh, passionate and important to us. It is, it's very deliberate. I think you hit on a, a few key things there. You know, the, the best qualified we want to put together the best racing teams. Uh, and there are uh, lots of unbelievable uh, people in this world that I think are gravitating towards our sport and are welcome. And so the more diverse um, fan base participants we can have, male, female, race, sexual orientation, you know, one of the things I love about Formula One and, you know, one of the reasons I like living in, in Europe, nationalities, right? You know, diversity is all of those things. And because Europe, you know, our Formula One team has 26 nationalities. So I'm quite used to and like, oh, what, what's it like in Italy? What's it like in the Middle East? And so we have always been very inquisitive. And I think people coming to you and working with you that have different perspectives, whatever those different perspectives are, I think adds value to the conversation and the decision-making and the contributions. So um, 
I, uh, it, it's, it's very important to us, and I think it's a competitive uh, advantage uh, for us, and diversity of, of thinking, right? A, a, a racing to starts with the brain power. Um, and uh, so it's great, and we hope to do more. It's why we joined uh, Extreme E, was around sustainability, and so we could have our first female racing driver, Emma Gilmore, who's been an outstanding uh, McLaren ambassador. Uh, it's why we're in, in Formula E, on, on kind of the more uh, energy and carbon side of, of sustainability. And we have a very focused uh, DE&I program. We have goals that we've set out in our uh, sustainability uh, report. Um, and, and yeah, you're going to see uh, you're going to see more of it. No need to let you go here in just a second. Why don't we close on, on these two quick things, Zach? You and I also shared passion for sports car racing, endurance racing here. A little over a month from now in Daytona, we are going to have the first grand sermon of the new GTP era. These hybrid cars kicking off with four manufacturers, an Acura, BMW, Cadillac, and Porsche. Will you be there? And where should I place odds on McLaren possibly being there a couple years down the road? We've spoken about this many times. I keep hoping the more we speak about it, we speak it into a reality, Zach. But give me your quick thoughts on, on getting, we're finally not talking about the possibility of this new hybrid formula. We're about to be able to talk about it being real and live and racing. And I know you want McLaren there, but where do I put, where are the odds and how much money should I put on that happening? I don't know, 2025 or something like that. <laughs> Good question. I, uh, you know, sports car racing is about ready to, to see a, a new era that might be the best era uh, ever, um, which is really exciting. Um, the collaboration between IMSA and the ATO and the, the rules and the amount of manufacturers that have come in, it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, Daytona, uh, as much as I would like to be there and usually I'm there, uh, conflicts with, I believe it's the Saudi, uh, formerly E-Race. So, uh, I, I need to be there. And, uh, so unfortunately I'll watch Daytona on TV, but won't be long before I get to an IMSA race and, uh, and, and Lamar. Um, as you rightly stated, I really would like to get McLaren into top-level sports car racing. I think we need to be there. I think it fits with uh, our brand. And, and as we kind of started the conversation with all that is going on, I need to make sure that um, when, which is what I like to say versus if, uh, we, we get involved, it just needs to you know, we need to be able to do it right um, and have everything else that we're doing in a really good spot. I learned a lot from Indy, uh, the Indy 500 in 2019. And one thing I learned is I never want to do that again. Um, and, and so I just always need to find the balance of my enthusiasm to want to be on the grid with McLaren uh, in Daytona next year um to, to when can we get involved so i i think it's we, we it's a few years away um we we need to make a decision soon because we now know 
what we need to know in order to make a decision. And, um, you know, the decision, do we want to be in it? Do we think it's a great place to be? That, that, those are all easy yeses. It's really dependent upon what else is going on in McLaren's world as to the, the, the best time to, to enter. And then, you know, when the world's in a not great place, that uh, lack of stability in the, the world at the moment, um, you know, gets you to tap the brakes on bringing on uh, big new projects to just make sure that uh, conditions are all uh, clear to, to, to land the plane, if you'd like. So uh, that's what goes into to all of that. We, we want to do it. The, uh, the business plan is done, and it's just a matter of timing now. I keep hearing rumors of a BMW reunion, so maybe we're going to uh, circle back and have some great Le Mans winning uh, provenance from 1995 infused here in the future. That's what I'm praying for, at least. All right, last uh, quick thing for you, Zach. Vintage racing. Uh, I know a guy who recently acquired Nigel Mansell's championship-winning 1993 Lola. Uh fitting in and among some other amazing vintage race cars that you own uh, many of them indie cars and many of those somewhat modern era if not pretty darn close to modern era indie cars what do we need to do here zach what do we need to do to get at least on the american side more vintage organizations to say yeah some old 50 year old alfa romeo gt you know, whatever car, those are great. What about getting some of the seventies, eighties, nineties, even early two thousands indie cars on track to really help create some, some great memories for fans who came into the sport during those eras who are following IndyCar today. What do you think, brother? What do we need to do? What are we missing? Cause there are not enough opportunities for folks like you who own these amazing modern indie cars to get to show them to fans at vintage events what do we need to do? Cause my soul needs more, uh, 2.65 liter turbocharged V8 sounds in them. Yeah, I, um, I agree with all uh, of that. I mean, these cars, uh, to so many people, myself included, just have unbelievable memories. And, uh, uh part, part of the pleasure of owning them is being able to, to share them or put Mario Andretti back in my, Lotus 79 at Goodwood and those types of, of things. And um, some people would love to see that Nigel Mantle and, and Al Jr. and Emma and pick, a, pick a car on track at Long Beach Sunday morning before the race starts. So I think that's something that um, maybe you and I need to do a little bit of uh, lobbying on because the cars are, are out there. Um, and it doesn't have to be all the time, but you know, Long Beach, which I'll be competing in this year in the Formula One, they should try and put together a bring your 80s, 90s indie car because they're out there, and uh, I think the fans would love it, and uh, and I would love it. Okay. Got some off-season work to do. I'm going to start. I never thought I was going to be a lobbyist, but if it gets uh, modern indie cars back on track, uh, I'll happily spend the time. Appreciate you, Zach. Appreciate you taking some time here, knowing you're heading right into Christmas. Look forward to uh, speaking soon and seeing you soon here in the new year. Perfect. Likewise, good to chat. Another uh, another year down, and I think you're probably like me, which is 
can't we start 2023 already? <laughs> All right, I'm raising my hand here. I admit it. I'm guilty. Zach, thank you, brother. And uh, episode or visit number 10 is in the books. 